0: Share Truth Live listeners, Taylor here. I'm our outreach and social media manager. Our next guest, Kyle Lane, is truly incredible. He's ready to share his journey on how he created RWAVE.org, a 501c3 nonprofit focused on providing survivors of sexual and domestic violence with an online space to share their stories, connect with others, and seek healing. Through RWAVE, Kyle leads a team of designers, engineers, researchers, and other specialists from across the globe. He contributes to RWAVE on a volunteer basis, but also leads and manages a software design and development agency called Lithios Apps. When he isn't working, he loves to fly bush planes, play soccer, and spend time in the mountains or swimming in any accessible body of water. Y'all are in for a treat, so get ready and help me welcome Kyle. Welcome, Kyle. We are so excited to have you with us today.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to, uh, to get into it today.
0: Yes, we have a lot to cover, so let's jump in and start with the basics. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came into the domestic violence and advocacy spaces? I would also love it if you could give our listeners a little insight to what R Wave is all about.
1: Yeah, so uh, so my name is Kyle Linton. I'm the executive director of an organization called R Wave, uh, and R Wave is a 501c3 nonprofit located in the United States uh, and specifically Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, and, and a couple years ago, I started this nonprofit when someone in my life experienced uh, sexual violence. Um, so they've directly experienced sexual assault, and we can get into some of the semantics of, I guess, what's under that umbrella. And, and really, you know, I had a background in tech, and really saw an opportunity to try to create a online space where survivors of, you know, domestic and sexual violence could safely share their stories without. You know the fear of repercussions uh, you know in sort of a safe space, a safe community, you know really with the goal being to connect with other survivors, uh, to hear similar experiences to theirs, to see messages of hope and healing from others. And really the overall goal is to facilitate the process of healing for for individuals who have experienced these kinds of trauma. And as a nonprofit director, I, you know I'm very new to this. I'm new to the nonprofit space. I'm new to the sexual violence and domestic violence prevention space. But really excited to sort of bring a different kind of energy and and a more technical background in creating online tools that are accessible by people across the globe.
0: I love your perspective and your expertise and just tech. And data, it is something so refreshing to see in the domestic violence and sexual violence spaces. And I think very similar to Speaker Truth today, our way's focus, really, like you said, is about creating spaces that honor stories. I'm Ooh. wondering how do you think survivor stories empower and support others who've experienced domestic violence?
1: I think that all of us are familiar with a variety of different stories that have sort of come out in different, you know, the the movement as a whole. So between, you know, Brett Kavanaugh years ago, uh, between uh, Chanel Miller, uh, who experienced sexual violence, and, and I'm obviously more familiar with stories on the sexual violence side, but a lot of these stories also directly pertain to domestic violence. And there are domestic violence stories that are, you know, incredibly unique on their own. And I think fundamentally, these stories really empower movements. So, you know, Dorana Burke specifically, when she started Me Too and and that entire movement on Twitter, where she sort of came out, told her story and started the hashtag Me Too, and then it was adopted by others. Really, it's, it's one person coming out and bringing something out of the darkness into the light and sharing that. And in the process, unfortunately, based on the statistics, Others sort of rally behind that movement and do the exact same thing. So really a huge part of what we're doing is we're casting a light on on these dark traumas that people have experienced and and have been kept quiet on and really trying to bring that to the light, to facilitate conversation, to facilitate education and provide resources and also eventually to help prevent these things from happening in the first place. Um, So that's really, I think, where stories take a huge part in that is they really they're oftentimes the first step in that process to unpacking these issues that things experience and and helping, you know, create a society where these things are not happening as frequently and we're able to help people recover from them happening, unfortunately, when they do happen.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, Kyle, echoing everything you say, I just think stories are incredible and they're so powerful and it really just helps like destigmatize just abuse in general and totally. normalizes it where f- people feel less alone. One of the things I love so much about R Wave and just like exploring your platform is the tagging system that mm-hmm. you have. I think is really special and unique. And for our listeners, R Wave and Kyle, please jump in and like. Yeah. You know, if I'm not nailing this, you help yeah. me nail this. But no, give him the pitch. Yes, yeah. let me give him. Let me see if I got a pitch. So cool. our wave has this capability to provide tags within stories. So when a survivor is submitting their stories, they can tag a variety of different things, whether it's the location of the abuse um, in the sense of like, did it happen in their home? Did it happen in the perpetrator's home? school, etc., as well as just like tags about like who the perpetrator may be and just like a variety of different things. And I think it's really unique because it allows survivors to search for really caveat and specific other stories that help them relate or hear things that make them even less alone. So instead of just like broad stories, they can really search for stories that will resonate with them and help them along their specific healing journey. So I just think that's such a rad function. And feel free to jump
1: in if, I, yeah, if you yeah. want to
0: elaborate even more about that tag system and maybe like the inspiration behind it, because um, I think it's just brilliant.
1: Yeah, yeah. And maybe just to take a step back to provide some more specifics, because sometimes I think I can get in the weeds pretty quickly on things and not provide helpful context. So really our organization, you know, we're a nonprofit and our focus is, has really been around creating this platform uh, for survivors to anonymously share their stories. So really, what does does that mean, I guess? And the way I would best describe it is, is there's sort of The ability for an individual survivor to submit a story to us, knowing that whenever that story is posted, it's going to be safe and secure and protect their identity uh, and protect the perpetrator's identity for legal purposes. So really, we created a custom online social media, if you will, to do that. So the benefit to survivors is they can submit their stories, uh, and, and know that we're going to be taking their privacy in mind, but know that they're also contributing to a wider base of stories. And then for the general population, anyone and everyone, you know, survivors, advocates, researchers have the ability to see those stories on the platform, interact with those stories. Uh, and, and for a lot of survivors, you know, to your point, you know, a lot of people tell us, they say, I read these stories and I did not feel so alone. So getting them into the tagging system, when a survivor submits their story to us, they can basically give us different pieces of information. So, you know, like you said, where they were, uh, if they have any sort of specific identity tags, uh, if they have any other tags that we want to consider. And really the goal of this is, is in two parts. One, it's for them to sort of, you know, join a community with saying, oh, you know, I am, you know, bisexual and I'm a, a Caucasian man, right? Like, you know, being able to sort of present that to the world, we're able to start to build these little communities of similar stories. And so, you know, another example of that would be military survivors. You know, oftentimes military survivors have a very unique experience that if a survivor is going to the platform and trying to look for You know, stories that are similar to theirs, they'd be able to filter based on military survivors or based on some of the other tags we have in our system. So I really think that we've really tried to be thoughtful about how do we make this a safe experience? How do we make it a clear experience? How do we, you know, inform it with research, but then also create these small communities of similar experiences, which really I think is the. You know, it's hugely important if you're trying to facilitate communities of hope and healing, which I think is something that we're really excited about long term.
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for elaborating on that and just walking folks through a more like comprehensive process of how, you know, submitting on the platform actually works. Totally. I want to dig deeper into, again, technology and how Mm -hmm. you're using it. And I would love if you could walk us through your journey to bridging that gap between technology and advocacy, because I think historically in the field, using technology in a way that's data-informed and trauma-informed has been like a missing piece of expertise that you and your team bring. So I would love if you could just walk us through that journey.
1: Yeah, totally. So, you know, I think that over the last 50 or 100 or even beyond that number of years, We've seen the movements around domestic violence and sexual violence change in a lot of ways. Um, I think initially there was sort of a lot of these issues sort of bubbled under the surface. They weren't talked about. Um, we weren't as open sort of with the trauma effects of these issues. And so I think, you know, I'd say in the last 50 years, we've seen this, this steady movement of more funding going towards organizations that do this work on the ground, sort of grassroots. How do we provide domestic violence shelters? How do we provide resources? How do we provide, you know, sexual violence, you know, support centers? And those have been amazing resources for survivors. I think we're talking about these issues more, you know, with the proliferation of those geographic resources. But I think in our perspective, we say, well, now we have the power of the internet. And in the last, you know, specifically 20 years, we have the ability to give people resources online that they uh, you know, they may not be in a position where they can access geographically located resources. Um, they may not want to go see somebody in person to access those resources, and they may want to look online first. And so those are sort of the starting points for us to say, OK, how do we build online tools and resources to support people through the process of finding, healing, um, reporting, doing all the things that they might you know, want or need to do? And so, you know, for us, I think that there's also this opportunity to be very proactive with that, right, where we're able to see patterns in data, we're able to to have a worldwide approach where previous organizations were limited to a geographic region and limited to the, the minimum amount of funding that they raised. And so... By being able to build this sort of comprehensive platform, you know, where we're collecting all this data, we can see these patterns and prevalence and say, oh, we're seeing a lot more stories contributed from these populations or these partners. Um, We're seeing that survivors that experience this are accessing these resources. So we can start to get a lot smarter about the way that we deliver resources, what resources we're delivering and, and not only better facilitate the process of healing, but then, you know, for a lot of the survivors that come to us, they say they want to give back. They want to do something positive with what they experienced. So then being able to connect those people into community for advocacy, for policy reform, to make systemic change um, in sort of in a preventative fashion, which that's really the long-term goal of where we're going.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for that. And I feel like you touched on so many things that I want to then elaborate on and totally. we're going to get to and other questions, but I really do just like how you bring up like the larger picture of like how we're moving into a more tech-based world and utilizing technology for like the good and benefits of survivors. I think that's something with Speaker Truth. We, are like faced often with of like, we are also a digital advocacy group, our support group on Facebook is 100% virtual, it reaches globally. So it's, it's just really cool to meet other partners in the field to have this mindset of like, what's next, what's broader and like thinking more than just like a local chapter and like the power that comes with that. And I know, oh, go ahead.
1: Oh, I was just gonna jump in and say, You know, at the same time, in the context of that conversation, I don't want to take anything away from locally organized geographic resources. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, there are certainly the way we sort of look at it is there are tools in the toolkit and survivors of domestic violence, of sexual violence. They need different tools. You know, some survivors need reporting tools. Some survivors need housing. Some need online community. So we are simply one of those tools in the toolkit and we're trying to expand the number of tools we can support from an online capacity but we're oftentimes creating in-person partnerships with you know to do resource handoffs to people that can provide other resources in person so i don't for a second want to take away from mm-hmm. the weight and importance of those in-person resources but you know we do have an opportunity in front of us to access i think more people scalably online with with limited with limited resources i would say
0: Yes, thanks for jumping in and adding that because I echo that and don't for a second want to take away from local resources. I worked at my local rape crisis center, worked at a variety of different local resources, and they truly are the backbone of the movement. Um, oh. yes, more so when I speak about speaker truth and other virtual things, it's in that supplemental sense of like, mm-hmm. what else can we offer folks or folks who are in that rural area or, you know, local resources aren't accessible for them. So, Absolutely shouting out all of our local resources as they really do such amazing groundwork. So I appreciate you adding that in there too. You touched on this a little bit, but I would love to hear from you in what ways that you think technology can enable data-informed approaches to better understand and address the needs of domestic violence survivors.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So I think the beauty of technology that, I don't know, I'll I'll nerd out out about for a second is that, so so initial point of clarity is we purposefully make decisions to not collect certain specific data points on people that are submitting stories to us or accessing resources. That being said, we are very, very, very interested in understanding sort of aggregate patterns of user behavior. So You know, understanding what are the resources people are accessing the most, what sort of content are people looking at, um, what questions that we can answer are most helpful, where are people submitting from countries, what are their tags, all of this sort of like individual agnostic information is fascinating to us because it allows us to see trends and use those trends to work with researchers to then improve our distribution of resources and the way we think about things. So, I really think that, you know, specifically for domestic and sexual violence, you know, an example of this is, you know, a survivor might come to our site and we might see that they read, you know, these three pieces of uh, content. You know, maybe it had to do with three questions that they had and they read those questions and then they shared their story and then they read other stories or maybe they access more questions. So what that tells us is, is let's say the question was on labeling, labeling their experience, um, trying to define if it was sexual assault, if it was not, um, you know, and they were just sort of trying to unpack their own journey. So by understanding that that user was accessing those pieces of education, and then they sort of were able to access that, they were able to make a determination of what they felt their experience was, and then they shared a story based on their experience, and then they accessed other resources, were helping that individual compartmentalize what happened to them. We're helping them access other resources, whether those are the ability to report, whether that is the ability to get trauma um, therapy um, or or whatever else that survivor needs. We're able to see what's most beneficial for that one individual survivor. And then over time, if we're able to then see patterns of that data where, oh, people were accessing these questions consistently or this blog post, we're able to not only reorganize the, the information on our site, but then also to be smarter about the prioritization of what resources we might present to someone, and then layering in another piece on top of that is we also have uh, Dr. Laura on our team, who's a professor at Temple. You know, she's doing all kinds of deeper research to understand, uh, you know, what is the mental states that survivors go through. Are there better resources for when a survivor is in a different mental state that would be most helpful to them? Because fundamentally. Facilitating the process of healing helps reduce, um, you know, homicidality, suicidality, drug use, uh, mental mental health disorders. So by really helping that process of healing in the most effective way, we can make a significant sort of health impact on that individual survivor and, and their, you know, progression in the rest of their life. mm
0: mm-hmm. So incredible. I just love the way that you're able to see a survivor's journey as they explore your website and what they're accessing. You mentioned being able to pick up trends and patterns. Are there any trends and patterns that you can share that you've noticed
1: yeah, it's a good question. I mean, we did a, a sort of an analysis and we were seeing that a lot of survivors were on our site for an hour before they submitted their story and an hour after, which was pretty shocking to us. Oh, uh, and obviously, that's not everyone. I think about 20% of survivors come to our site, submit their story, and leave. Um, so, you know, there's different sort of pockets of survivors that have different experiences. Another sort of set of lessons that we've learned is that. Uh, different subgroups of survivors also have very different um, experiences with, you know, disclosing their story, but also accessing resources. Like we had a lot of interesting conversations about male survivors, for example, and how oftentimes the best way to sort of facilitate conversation around male survivorship is to touch on topics like boundaries uh, and other things. And And male survivors are not, and obviously this, I don't want to paint too broad a strokes, but the trend is that male survivors are not as public with sharing their story in certain ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that goes for all kinds of different communities globally, right? Not just male survivors, but other countries um, where, you know, there is a negative stigma associated with maybe sharing and uh, maybe there isn't as clear labeling for people to understand what happened to them. So we're constantly thinking about all these different subgroups and the power mechanisms that are in place within these different communities and, and how do we best facilitate that process? How do we align education with that process? You know, there's so much nuance to this. It's, mm-hmm. it's trying to just unpack that and make sense of that in sort of a data-driven way to most help people is really the goal.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it's just so much on the back end of just like being able to see all this data and how people are navigating it. And then like, what do you do with it? Or how do you like process it and analyze it? Like the point that you made of like, some folks spending an hour before and after is so interesting to me because that's not something I would necessarily assume.
1: Yeah.
0: I think it's just, it's so insightful to really get like this larger image of like, I think so many nonprofits and just folks in the field will have these websites and resources. And we truly have no idea if people are using them or like, what is more beneficial? Is it like the submit your story? Is it the resources? Is it You know how to safety plan. So it's it's so cool to be able to like just have these conversations and see what you're doing to better understand how folks are using it. Because I think so often we're like assuming what's helpful when you're having like actual data that shows like this is actually more helpful or this is what folks are really reading into or learning about. So you know me, I'm so excited and interested to see where this goes. And for listeners. I've been able to work with Kyle on a few projects for the past few months. So it's been such a treat to just really broaden the way that I view technology and data because it's not something that I would say I'm an expert in. So it's just, it's just very refreshing and insightful. Um, and it makes me hopeful for how we can get better specific services for survivors and their needs.
1: Yeah, and if I can sort of boil down my perspective of this in in as simple of a way as possible it boiled down into one word, the the goal is impact, right? Like, and I think that's the job of anyone in a nonprofit is how do we create impact for whatever population we're working with? And when we look at this, we go, okay, I think there's, we can do that in two capacities. One is sort of a breadth standpoint. And in most simplistic terms, it's how do we help as many people as possible? And then there's sort of the depth question is how do we provide better resources? And and really, I think if you're going to simplify that, it's, How do we best facilitate the process of healing for the individual survivor? So we're always looking at things in terms of those two perspectives is how do we work with more survivors? And then how do we better help the individual survivor? And I think that from that perspective, we're able to be really honest with ourselves and say, well, the only way to do that is if we're sort of being extremely brutally honest with our people using, you know. I think when we build technology we make all these assumptions of oh this this feature will be used a lot or that feature or people are going to like this piece of content and if we're being real with ourselves we need to measure that we need to measure every single thing that we put out as best we can as a group of volunteers right mm-hmm. and we need to do what works and figure out what areas there might be gaps that we might need to release content or support um you know sort of fill the holes in the, in the sort of sinking ship if you will and if we're doing a good job of all those things and we're aligning the best content with, you know, either the, you know, the most number of people or providing that depth of experience, we're creating the most impact, which is fundamentally like has to be our number one focus and we've got to maintain organizational alignment behind that. So, I really try to get everyone thinking of like, you know, in that capacity of like how do we do one of those two things to make the most impact for the populations we work with.
0: Mhm. And yeah, it's just it really is just like, don't assume like yeah. analyze everything like that is so critical. Like <laughs> the capacity and skill to analyze everything. Cause that is just where you get the information. Um, so I, I really appreciate that. And I have a question that digs a little bit deeper. You touched on it a little bit and it's a two-parter. So yeah. ready, um, okay. but I would love to hear from you on how, technology can be utilized to provide customized support to survivors to meet their unique needs and also how the combination of survivor stories and data-driven insights create more effective domestic violence prevention program. So this kind of goes to that macro level um, impact you were speaking about earlier.
1: Yeah. So the first of those, I can give you sort of a concrete example. So when someone submits a story to us of domestic or sexual violence, uh, you know, a part of our process is that we will actually screen every story that comes into us and remove identifiable information. Uh, I, I do think to be clear that there is a place in some communities for sort of publicly acknowledging these things with a name and a voice. So I don't want to take away from that, but for the sake of our platform and our conversation today, we anonymize all that information for the protection of, of everyone involved. Um, and we try to do it with as minimal edits as possible, but, you know, a part of our process is to make edits and redactions, um, but another part of our process is to sort of screen through that story content and to send resources according to that specific experience. So, uh, you know, we have tools in our backend where if we see a story that has, you know, self-harm references or eating disorder references... Uh, you know, a huge part of our process is we send out resources to that survivor, but we can reorganize those resources and say, okay, maybe a self harm resource is the most important. Maybe an eating disorder resource is most important. And then subcategories of that, you know, maybe there's An online therapy organization that focuses in self harm, or maybe there's an online PDF that somebody might want to read through in their own time. So, you know, there's sort of categories and subcategories that we're able to customize to that person based on simply the information that they're providing to us. Um, And so, trying to meet survivors where they're at, at the right state, at the right time, at the right location you know, that's a huge challenge for us is how do we do that in the most seamless and simplistic way where we don't want to in any way guilt somebody, but be like, hey, here's some small nudges that could be helpful for you.
0: I love that feature so much because I think sending customized resources is such an incredible way to make someone feel validated and heard as in you're listening to their stories. It's not this generic you know, response that everybody is getting, which mm-hmm. I think is so special because I think... Oftentimes when folks will submit their stories on other platforms, there's just, there might not be a response because those systems don't have these systems or automatic responses or just capacity for folks to respond to them back. So I think like, that's just so, that's just a very impactful touch of, again, letting folks know that like, we're listening, we're here, we are here you and here's some resources. Okay, let me get to the second part now. I couldn't, couldn't help but jump in. But the second part is how can the combination of survivor stories and data driven insights create more effective domestic violence prevention programs?
1: So I think the first part of that is, you know, back to data is if we're allowing survivors to tag their stories, we're starting to see patterns in the data of these are the communities that are sharing a lot, or these are the identities that are sharing a lot. So I think the first step of that is saying, you know, what voices are we hearing? What voices are we not hearing? What voices are we hearing more than we thought that we were hearing? And how do we address those communities? Like what are prevailing themes across those stories that are being submitted? So with that, you know, we're able to then create educational content. We're able to work with other partners to sort of try to get in front of that and say, okay, well, we're obviously receiving a lot of stories from survivors who have experienced domestic sexual violence in in these ways, and they've sort of articulated these things. How do we then create content to get in front of that, too? You know, an example of this would be we actually did a series with USA Gymnastics on uh, basically abuse in sports. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, you know, sort of all encompassing of not only, you know, sexual violence, domestic violence, harassment, bullying. But really a huge part of that was how do we try to identify these signs that we end up seeing in these sort of traumatic experiences and stories that, you know, we get down the line and how do we move up and say hey how do we you know increase sort of bystander Uh, intervention? How do we look for signs and symptoms of these things going on um, and try to nip them in the bud, right? Before they, you know, it becomes a a more intensive, like fully traumatic experience. And, you know, obviously sometimes there's a progression of traumatic experiences, but how do we identify these things earlier, increase education in these areas and interject before, uh, you know, survivors are, uh, you know, experience these things in the first place? So I think that's a little bit of how we can do it, but I think we're also learning and improving and trying to figure out if there's other ways that, you know, releasing reports to then change legislation around certain topics. I think there's so many different ways we can go with using data to then inform um, certain decision-making.
0: Yeah. It feels like endless ways that you could use this data to like, which I can imagine is like overwhelming of like, what's next or like, what do we take on as an organization? And it's, this made me think of a follow-up question. So let's say you notice a significant population is submitting stories. So let's say you're getting a significant amount of trans survivor stories. Yeah. Will so you then do like outreach to trans survivor networks and let them know, or how do those partnerships like happen for you when you connect with certain groups? So let's say USA Gymnastics. Yeah. you are gathering info and then reach out to them, or kind of does it work both ways?
1: I think it works both ways. Um, a part of our model is, is we've got a little bit of like a centralized and a decentralized approach. And what that means is we have our core story sharing site that anyone and everyone can use as a resource at any time. But then we oftentimes end up working with specific partners that have a population, um, you know, that they work with. So if we're going and working with a trans, you know, support group, right? Like they may have you know, 10,000, you know, trans individuals within their community that they want to create a custom community for those kinds of stories. So we do do partnerships with those kinds of organizations where we say, we specifically want to use your branding and your logo and, and your information because that's going to be more familiar and friendly to your population. And let's create a community specifically for that subgroup, you know recognizing that other groups might also share within that, that group. But really with the goal then of being with all those you know those decentralized communities and also centralized communities is we're building this one massive base of stories. So if a survivor comes to our site and they're interested in seeing you know, trans survivor stories, you know, those other stories are going to be filtered into that. So there's benefits between sort of the cross-pollination of these different platforms and organizing data in in very intelligent ways.
0: I also, I feel like we haven't really touched on the artwork opportunity that we also have on R-Wave. I would love if you could speak more about how if folks don't necessarily feel comfortable or in addition to submitting a narrative-based submission. They want to provide some type of artwork that is central to their story or their healing. If you could speak a little bit about that process and the intention behind that option.
1: You know, fundamentally, survivors are oftentimes looking for outlets to share their story or share artwork or, or share via other mediums outside of like a just a written sort of medium, if you will. So we think that's important and it is a little bit of a technical challenge because, how do you make sure anonymity with um, a, you know, artwork that's submitted? So I think we we support this medium in two forms. One, we've got anybody can submit artwork to our general platform. We have tools to, that allow us to blur artwork if we get usernames or, or other things that we identify as, you know, things that are identifiable in, in our perspective based on our review guidelines. But then we oftentimes end up partnering with other organizations or individuals who are specifically focused on um, you know, survivor experiences and want to do like one-off art exhibit sort of uh, work. So an example of that is is we had an individual come to us who wanted to create an exhibit that clothing does not even consent. So in real life, she had taken a bunch of photos uh, from survivor that survivors had given to her of this this is the clothing that they were wearing when they experienced mm-hmm. something you know, traumatic. And um, you know we put that we digitized that, put that in an online exhibit. Uh, which is sort of more of a cultivated experience. It's a little, it's not the same as sort of our core platform, but we find that those exhibits oftentimes are, are mechanisms to sort of tell a story in, in an organized way, you know, based on a specific theme. And I think that there's a lot of power to that, both the ongoing community where stories can be submitted, artwork can be submitted, and then also the one-off exhibits and videos and pieces of art and media that people are submitting because they're passionate about this. Um, And either they experience it themselves or they're working with a group of survivors to share.
0: Yeah, I think it's cool because it just recognizes the variety of different modalities that folks use for healing. So I just appreciate and feel like the listeners would love to understand that there's a variety of different ways that they could navigate and use our Waves platform. As we wrap up here, I just have a few questions for you. And I would love if you can elaborate and speak to how you've witnessed the impact technology has in connection to survivor stories.
1: You know, almost every single day we get stories from survivors and, and a lot of the time they say, like, thank you so much for creating, you know, this space, you know, without trying to toot our own horn too much. We're really proud of the space we built. And We're really proud of the fact that we've made a lot of people feel a lot less alone and that there's a place that they can go and they can see messages of hope for another survivor and they can really connect with a community uh, in order to sort of find what healing means to them and and start to navigate along that long nonlinear process, right? Which which is the, the absolute case for any sort of traumatic incident that somebody experiences. So it's been just so powerful to just see those messages from survivors to see people reach out to us. Like, you know, we're totally volunteer led organization and we've had, I don't know, probably 50, 50 or hundred people reach out to us to volunteer in some capacity, contribute their skills to give back to other people who have experienced, you know, these, these traumatic incidents. And, and it's been so special to us to just see so many people being so willing to just contribute to this thing that like, I started with an idea and just started having conversations with, you know, specialists and stuff about five years ago. And to grow to this point where this this thing is creating its own momentum and we're starting to see the data and we're starting to get smarter about things. And we're actually working with some of the largest partners in the United States in this space. You know, National Sexual Violence Resource Center, Me Too International, uh, It's on Us, End Rape on Campus, um, and then broadening our, our international partnerships I don't know. It's just it's it's been really cool to just see the impact of our work and our diligence and, uh, you know, get to this point, I guess. I don't even remember what exactly the original question was, but it's special to us to hear all these voices of survivors coming back and contributing to this global movement that we are simply a small part of.
0: Yes. No, I think you nailed it and really spoke to the impact. And yes, be proud. I think this is incredible. You all have done such truly impactful work. And I, it's Thank so special. You. It's special that you have so many people who want to be involved. It's incredible to hear about the partnerships that you've fostered and really developed. And I just know that I'm excited to watch your journey of growth throughout the next few years and see see where you go. Um, and I think that really is a perfect transition into my last question of where do yeah. you see the future of our wave heading?
1: Oh, man. Well... As an executive director, my job is to help us grow, uh, you know, and I'd say financially grow, um, but get to a position where we can work on these things faster. There's so much that we can do, uh, you know, sort of as we talked about on the call today, to support survivors of domestic and sexual violence in so many different ways um, with the specific expertise that we had have in technology. So, you know, I very much see us, you know, a part of my job is to sort of acquire those resources so we can move faster, but Really, it's just it's back to that impact, right? Like we're constantly building new partnerships with organizations that are giving us access to tens of thousands of survivors at a time. We're improving the tools on our platform so that we're giving more customized support to people. We're adding more education to our library of content so people can access the information they're looking for when they experience something so so really, I don't know we're we're running hard and fast in all directions, but you know, it all comes back down to that impact. How do we most impact, you know, the most number of survivors across the globe? And then um, how do we provide that individual impact for every survivor that comes to us and, and deepen that relationship and that support over time? Yeah, but I, I'm excited. There's there's so many good things in the works that I, I think it's just a matter of time before we keep growing sort of exponentially, if you will.
0: Hmm. Yes, no, so exciting so much growth. And I'm just like, I'm so grateful to have been able to just like have this chat with you and really pick your brain and learn more about the work you do and just like have folks in the field and our listeners really understand like the importance of technology and data and how you're harnessing it to really help survivors. I think if you're not, and this is just me personally speaking, like I don't have a tech background. I am not like so good with data. So it's it's just interesting to hear from someone who that's their expertise and how incredibly new and impactful it can be for folks who have been in the movement for a while. So I'm just oozing with gratitude, Kyle. I love chatting with you. I've had so much fun and I'm just really excited to see where our wave goes with things.
1: No, absolutely. And I mean, we couldn't do it without partners like y'all. So I really appreciate you sort of raising awareness to to these issues and with your specific population and i don't know we we've got a lot of work that we need to do with a lot of different people and and it's it's tough work and it you know people have to take breaks from it and and i think mental health for people that are doing this sort of work is really important but um you know when we have the capacity and when we're able to pour out of that sort of full cup you know i think there's a huge amount of work unfortunately that you know, we can contribute to society in some of these areas and, and really thankful for the opportunity to speak on the podcast and, and appreciate your time.
0: Y'all, that was so fun. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Share Your Truth Live with R-Wave CEO and founder, Kyle Lynn as we dug deep into how technology can impact the way survivors not only share their story, but also access resources. We're so grateful for everyone who tuned in. You can learn more about R-Wave and their work at rwave.org. As always, you can visit Speak Your Truth today for additional information and resources as well.